Well, over the next three Sundays, we're, we're going to be looking at that old favourite, the book of Haggai. I would imagine it's not a book we think about a great deal. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, minor only because it's short, not because its content is, is lacking or there's not a lot to it. Um, and it's one of the 12 minor prophets, and it's one of only five of the books written by prophets in what's called the post-exilic period. I'll explain what that means in a moment. It's also very short, so that's why it's only taking us three weeks. There's only two chapters of it. But to understand Haggai's prophecy, we have to understand at least a little bit of the context into which it's written. So just very quickly, the nation of Israel reached its pinnacle of power, economic, military, um, under Solomon. You can see that if you're into your maps, I like maps, so this kind of stuff interests me. That is the kingdom of Israel. You can see it was quite a big world power at that point. When Solomon dies, the nation splits in two two smaller kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Both of them start doing this. They start declining in every way feasible. But the most important and significant decline is the spiritual decline. Things really start to go badly wrong. Paganism from the nations round about starts to come into these two countries and the rot sets in. Israel falls first, but the kingdom of Judah carries on for a while. There's blips when things improve a bit, but things are generally going on a downward spiral. Now, Solomon had an amazing temple built in Jerusalem. It was a place where God's presence had tangibly filled the building. It was where atonement for sin was made. The real presence of God was there. And for 400 years, it stood a reminder of the covenant promises between God and his people. And then the unthinkable happened. 587 BC, the Babylonians marched into Jerusalem They destroy the temple, and the best and the brightest of the people are taken off into captivity in Babylon. Seventy years takes place in Babylon. Lots of things happen. Read the book of Daniel for some of the accounts of things that happen there. But then we get to the end of that 70-year period, and this is where the prophet Haggai. Now, prophecy is really when we, we start to see something of God's tender heart spoken to his people. So that's what Haggai brings. But just watch the screen for 56 seconds for a quick overview of the book of Haggai. Introduction to Haggai. These words of the prophet Haggai fill only two chapters, but they changed Jerusalem. In 520 BC, Haggai encouraged the 50,000 Jewish exiles who had returned from captivity in Babylon to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. The work had begun, but stopped. Fifteen years had passed, and only the temple foundation was complete. For four months, Haggai challenged the priorities of the people. He asked them why they were living in nice houses while the temple, the center of worship, was still in ruins. They listened and completed the temple in four years. Haggai then told them that even though the temple they were building would not look as grand as Solomon's temple, which was destroyed, that God's presence would still be with them and that God's people would someday have a grand future. Told it was short. (laughs) It comes in a very abrupt end as well. Hopefully that gives a little bit of the background as to what's happening. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, um, if you can find the book of Haggai, um, go to the book of Matthew in the New Testament and it's back three books from there. Very short. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 948. So reading Haggai 1 verses 1 to 11. And I'm just going to read these names with confidence. I have no idea whether they're right or not. 
In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You are planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labors of your hands. Well, it was Wednesday evening last week, and Claire and I had been out for quite a long dog walk around Lim. And the reason being is Tim does football practice on a Wednesday evening, so we normally take the time to go for about an hour or so's walk. And we, we were watching the tennis on Claire's phone. You know, Andy Murray was playing, and I really like Wimbledon, really like watching the tennis. So we're walking around, trying not to walk into the canal, but read, you know, watching the, the score as it was going on. We got back into the car. Um, Claire was driving, just so that you're thinking I'm not watching tennis while I'm driving. I continued to watch the tennis on the phone. We got home. We all came into the house, went and put Wimbledon on on the TV, sat there and watched the rest of the match, and then watched something else. And it got time to go to bed. I turned to Claire and say, where's the dog? Where's the dog? Oh, she'll have gone upstairs. She'll have gone into Nat's room. She often goes into Nat's room and sleeps under his desk to sort of hide, having to do the things that we don't want her to do. She wasn't there. Was she in the garden? No, she wasn't there. What had we done? Well, we'd been prioritizing the tennis. And she was sat in the boot of the car, (laughs) very quietly in her cage. Now, thankfully... It was a cool evening, the sun wasn't shining, nothing bad happened to her. But we had got our priorities all wrong. And the poor dog looked at me as if to say, you are the most terrible owner in the world. But in life, we all have priorities, don't we? We all have priorities. Some of them are very small, like watching a tennis match. Some of them might be a little bit bigger. It might be the priorities of where we're thinking of going away on a holiday and how we're going to save up for that holiday. Then we all have those big picture priorities. You know, it might be that you're looking to buy a house and you're thinking that is priority at the moment or you're looking for a new job or you're hoping to retire or whatever it might be and those become the big priorities in life. Well, in verse 2, Haggai brings a word from the Lord that highlights a serious problem with these returning exiles' priorities. They've started to come home from Babylon. They've not come home as a big group but they've come home in their dribs and drabs. You know, family at a time, people moving. And as the exiles come home, they need houses to live in. 
But if you've got a Bible there, and it is worth keeping the Bible open because I will be referring to, to verses as we go through. In verse 4, the Lord describes them as living in panelled houses. Now that is quite significant because that word panelled houses is normally refers to royal palaces. So they are living in probably what are quite ostentatious houses, panelled with the cedars of Lebanon. Costs a lot of money to build, nice places to live in. And that has become the priority for them. Now, the problem is, well, it's not that they're living in houses. You know, living in a house is part of human flourishing. We need to live in a house in most parts of the world to survive. But actually, what the Lord highlights is, well, the balance is all wrong. You're focusing so much on this while the temple is in ruins. And see what the people say. Look at verse 2. This is the people speaking. It says, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now, the language there is a kind of colloquial saying. It's not sort of official language. But you know, if ever you get that position where somebody asks you to do something, you say, no, I'm not doing that at the moment. Do you ever find yourself saying that? And actually, I mean, I don't want to ever do it, thank you very much, but I'm just using an excuse. And you can use it in all kinds of different ways in life. And that is really what is happening here. The people, they don't want to get back to building God's temple. They're quite happy building their panelled houses. Now, just think about your own life for the moment. I'll think about my life. You know, someone once said to me, and I have mentioned this before, if you want to know what your priorities are in life, look at your bank statements. Look and see what you're spending your money on. And that reveals an awful lot about your priorities in life. Another thing I'd want to add to that is look at your diary. See where you're spending your time. What are you spending your time doing? Because those things actually illustrate a lot about our priorities. Now, I'm not going to put my bank statement on the screen. You'll be glad to know. But if I were to look through our bank statements, it does say a lot about our priorities in life, the things that we value. So if you were to look through mine, you know, there's the obvious stuff. Housing costs. We all have to pay bills, don't we? Fuel for cars, which is an increasing amount of money, a scary amount of money now. One of our cars had to be serviced last month. That was also quite expensive. Money that we give away to church and other Christian organizations. Food. You've seen the size of our two boys? Lots of food. That is also quite a priority. There's then the odd meal out and lots of garden stuff because we've recently had our garden redone. And so we've been buying plants. Now that is a one-off. We don't normally spend a lot of money on plants, but that is what our priority has been. Now each of you will have different priorities. We all have different things that we're spending on. But what does it say about our heart? What does it say where we're investing our money? What about time? What does your diary say about you? Where, where are you spending your time at the moment? Are we spending it largely at work? Are we spending it seeking leisure? Are we spending it with the Lord? What are we spending our time doing? And what about our spiritual well-being? What about our spiritual priorities? How much time at the moment are we prioritizing actually spending time with other Christians, spending time in fellowship? How much time are we actually prioritizing spending time seeking the very presence of God in our lives, spending time in prayer, spending time in God's Word, spending time in worship? You know, for conversations that I've had with, I know, with many people in this room and with many people from different places as well, the last two and a half years have been really quite a struggle. I don't think that's an underestimation. And I think for many of us, it continues to be a struggle. How do we balance, you know, sort of health needs and keeping ourselves safe with, with living our lives? But I think one of the things that's happened over the last couple of years 
is for many of us, we have looked at priorities in our lives. We have looked at the things that matter to us the most. And it's been a bit of a recalibration. And I know for some of us, it's meant that we've perhaps changed job or we've moved house or we've moved areas as we feel the Lord has called us to different things. But you know, sometimes in a recalibration, if we're not actually thinking about priorities, we can end up ditching the stuff that is actually bringing us life just because it gets squeezed out. And sometimes the things of God, the things of the Spirit can get a little bit squeezed because other things start to come in. And then the Lord needs to shake us. And he needs to come in his, by his spirit and start to ask questions of our heart. And that's really what is going on in Haggai. In Haggai 1, the Lord is asking those questions of the heart of the people. Are you going to build the temple? Or are you going to stay with those priorities of comfort in your nice cedar-paneled homes? So what's the problem? What has gone wrong with the people? A lot has happened over this last 70 years when the people went into exile. And one writer on this passage suggests that three things have happened. That the people have lost faith, first of all. You know, exile was tough. It it was brilliant here yesterday. I was in church yesterday seeing um, these uh, various Ukrainian families and people here. And it's great that we are able to open our building and facilitate what goes on here on a Saturday. But those um, people will live with scars forever of being moved from their country into this land. For the exiles in Jerusalem, they would have lived with deep scars because they'd been away from their homeland for so many years. Generations had passed since they were living at home. And the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promises of the law, perhaps now seem a little bit ragged in the face of reality. So there may have been a loss of faith. A loss of desire as well. The temple in the Old Testament is the very place where God's presence dwells. If you're not into the temple, you're really not into seeking after God. So if the temple isn't priority, then God isn't priority. So it's that sense of lost desire. And also a sense of lost vision. The prophets before the exile all looked forward to a great day when the glory of the Lord would fill the earth. And they look forward to the post-exilic time when the temple would re- be rebuilt and the presence of God would fill it. Yet Haggai say, it's just, well, we want to live in our nice homes, thank you. They've lost vision. They've lost a sense of what God is doing. And the result is a very difficult situation. The people are back home, but things aren't going well. And there's loads of other pressures around them as well. If you read the book of Ezra, which is around the same time, it also says there's political pressure, there's military pressure, there's economic pressure. It's all squeezing down on these people. But actually, the biggest problem of all is the priorities of the heart have shifted. The priorities of the heart have changed. So what does the Lord do? Well, he questions the validity of their argument not to rebuild the temple. Just have a look at verse 4. The Lord says, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Is that a valid thing to say? So the people are saying, well, it's not the time. But God says, why? Why is it not the time? You know, we can always make excuses, can't we, for not prioritizing God in our lives. We can always say, well, when I finish this or when I've done that, then I will do what God wants me to do. But, you know, those things will never go away, will they? If we need to prioritize God, if that is a challenge from the Lord to us today, today is the day when God is calling us to do that. So the people are left with a choice. 
what they're going to focus on, comfort or rebuilding the temple. Comfort or the presence of God. But this isn't just a theoretical discussion either. You know, bad stuff is happening to these people. I don't know if you noticed that as we read through the verses. They're planting, but the harvests aren't good. They're, they're drinking, but it's not satisfying them. The clothes aren't keeping them warm, and the money isn't seem to doing what money normally does. And so there's lots of everyday problems. We see, built within the promises of God were promises made to the nation of Israel. And if you've got um, a Bible, you might want to turn to this, actually, Deuteronomy 28. There's a whole list of blessings that the Lord gives to his people for when they are obedient. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then reading down at verse 12 and 13. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord God will make you the head, not the tail. But what we say is their disobedience is resulting in the opposite. They are suffering because actually they are not doing the things that God would have them do. And what Haggai does, along with many of the other prophets of the period, is he looks at the present and says, actually, what is happening is God's judgment is falling on you because you are not obeying him. So the ancient law is interpreted in the lens of the present. So what on earth do we make of this for our lives today? You know, it's not one thing reading this kind of stuff, but then saying, how do we interpret contemporary life because of this? Well, I think we have to be very, very careful at this point, really, really careful. You know, Deuteronomy 28, if you read it, has some wonderful things about the blessings of God and what happens when we follow in God's ways. Now, some Christian teaching, I think, really overemphasizes this. And we get this kind of mindset that if we obey God and if we do more and more of the thing God wants, we get this wonderfully prosperous life. And we have health and we have the best house, and we're at the top of our career, and all the rest of it, and the blessings just keep coming and coming and coming. But we need to be very careful. Because these words in Deuteronomy that are sort of back into to Haggai 1, these are words that are written about a nation, not about an individual. We mustn't personalize some of these things. And actually, Scripture as a whole shows us a very different picture. It shows us something quite different. You know, bad stuff will happen to really great people. People who are obedient to God sometimes suffer the most. We can't just make these sort of jumps back and say, listen to this. This is from another prophet, Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. You may know these verses. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. Yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will be joyful in the Lord. Read the wisdom books of the Old Testament, things like Proverbs and the Psalms, and we see time again people grappling with how can bad stuff happen to people who are living righteous lives. But what Haggai does, he say, well, in this particular instance, what's going wrong is because of your disobedience. So another question, can that ever happen to us? Does that ever happen to us? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. They're not some of my favorite verses in the Bible, I have to say, but I will read them. 
says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? Sometimes, just sometimes, the Lord uses bad circumstances to get us back on track with him. Just sometimes. I'll give you a couple of examples in a minute. But I'll give you an example that I don't think is a right one. You know, it hadn't rained, had it, until a couple of weeks back for quite a long time. And I've already mentioned this morning that we've been doing our garden up and it was getting a bit like a dust bowl. And, you know, all these plants that we'd planted were wilting in the heat and the turf that we'd put down was looking brown. For me to then say, goodness me, this is the judgment of God falling on me for some horrendous sin in my life, I don't think is is great wisdom. Actually, it's June, we get dry patches, turn the tap on, hose the garden. You know, that is the solution. But, you know, I've had at least two, if not three or four, situations in my life where I've become a bit obsessed by something material. And things like somebody driving into a car that I got a little bit obsessed by. And, you know, stuff that's happened that I'm just like, I just wonder, is God getting my attention here? Is God pulling me back on track? By just sort of allowing those things to take place that ask me those deeper questions of my life. So how do we know if it's God? How do we know if it's God? Well, normally in hindsight. But just two things, two things that I found is, one, has it resulted in me stopping sinning and coming back to the Lord? If so, praise God. God has got our our attention and we have come back to him. And second, does it then result in increased fruitfulness in our lives afterwards? And if it does, it may be that just God has got our attention. This is what we'll find in Haggai. God gets the people's attention And then they become more fruitful. The presence of God returns and things then move on. But please, please be very careful here. You know, if you're not sure, if you want to talk it through with somebody, talk it through with a close Christian friend, come and grab one of us on the leadership team, your small group leader. And we just have to be very careful with some of these things. So the solution, what is the solution in this chapter? Well, the returning exiles, the remedy of Haggai's application of the ancient law. Well, get on with the task. Put God back in the center. Go up the mountains and start cutting down trees. Bring the wood down and get the temple rebuilt. Now, as Christians, we don't have a physical temple, do we? We don't have to go to a temple to worship God. Now, it's great that we have this building to worship in, but to be honest, if this building got flattened or did get burnt down, thankfully not today, but if if that did happen we would be none the worse off as Christians in terms of our worship. We'd have lost the resource, but we'd still be able to worship. We can worship outside, we can worship in the freezer aisle at Sainsbury's, we can worship wherever it happens to be. The context is not important. Why? Well, the Bible tells us that when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that the temple is now internal. The temple of God is where the Spirit lives. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. Just think about that for a moment. In ancient times, the spirit of God used to inhabit a great big building. But since the spirit has been poured out, our hearts are the temple of God. Right within us, right inside of us, is God's temple. The people in Haggai's day, God says, well, you're neglecting the temple. What are we doing today? 
where are our priorities? If our heart and life is the living temple of God, if we are sealed, filled, and anointed by the Holy Spirit, what attention are we giving to the Lord who dwells within us? Are we really seeking after the things of the Spirit today? Are we prioritizing God in all those different areas of our lives? Or are we prioritizing different things? See, today's passage, you probably noticed it when I read it, it doesn't really end on a high note. It does come in this book. It's just not today. But it does come. But we have to challenge ourselves with the question that the Lord challenged the people in Haggai's day. Where are our priorities? Where is our heart? What are we prioritizing in our life today? So can I leave you with that question? What do the evidence priorities in our life reveal of our attitude towards the Lord? By evidence priorities, I mean those things that are in our bank statements, the things that are in our diaries, the way we spend our time, what we do, the, the priority we give to, say, meeting together, either in person, online, whatever it is, our quiet times, those things that we're actually doing to prioritize the Lord in our lives. Loving justice and mercy. Being people who seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm just going to leave us a bit of space because I think we we need to examine our own hearts and see what the Lord may be pinpointing in our own lives. But let's just spend a bit of time and then I'll hand over to Neil and Mims and they'll lead us in a time of response. So let's just be quiet before the Lord. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that you are loving, you are merciful, you are kind. And just as you did in Haggai's day, you long for us to keep returning to you. You long for our flourishing, that you might be the priority in our life. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit this morning, would you just nudge us where perhaps our lives have got a bit out of kilter, perhaps in whatever our situation is, where our panelled houses have taken over from rebuilding your temple. Lord, whatever that means for us today, would you give us the courage to come back to you, to return to the Lord? Lord, we're reminded that so often that the call of the prophets of the Old Testament is simply come back. Come back to the Lord. Find again joy. Find again what it means to have peace and relationship with God. And Lord, we we just pray that we will come running to you. Seeking you right at the center of our lives this morning. Yeah, Lord, we, we just thank you again for the outpoured spirit. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us, anoints us, fills us, equips us, gifts us. Lord, help us to be fruitful for you. Help our lives to be filled with more of you this morning. Help our hearts to respond to your goodness, we pray. For Jesus' sake.